Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. All right, how many of you are feeling good today? Right, raise your hands. All right, good. I won't ask the rest of you to raise your hands, just in case. Hey, I'm pretty pumped up today. I've got family in town, got my granddaughters here, so it's a good day for me. I want to welcome everybody who's here in the room, everybody who's watching online as well. And let's begin with a question. How many of you would say that you like to get the approval of others in life? Go ahead, be honest, raise your hands up high. Okay, most everyone really honestly deals with this to one degree or another. In fact, a lot of people are tempted to think that who they are is who other people say they are. And then you end up kind of idolizing, getting the approval of other people, getting other people to be impressed by you. You know, a number of years ago, I caught myself doing this. I was with a group of pastors and they were all talking about various speaking engagements they had participated in. And I had just finished speaking at two consecutive conferences with some well-known speakers. Dr. Tony Evans was one of them, and Dr. Norm Geisler, one of my favorite theologians, was at another conference. And and granted, I was the low man on the totem pole. I was the little-known guy. They were the keynote speakers. But in that moment, I knew that if I told those pastors who I had just spoken at a conference with, they would go, wow, right? And that's when I realized, dang, Brian, you're a little approval junkie right here. Yeah. Well, Jesus, he, he invites us to step out of the slavery of being consumed with what other people think about us and step into being grounded in the love of our Heavenly Father. And he gives us a little spiritual practice to help with this. It's called secrecy. Secrecy. See, in secrecy, I really learn that I can abstain from showing off my good deeds or impressive qualities to other people. In secrecy, I hand over the PR department of my life to God. Like in secrecy, I learned that I can refrain from trying to get other people to go wow and still survive. And so today, what I want to do is I want to take a look at how Jesus applies this whole discipline of secrecy to giving and rewards. And we're going to begin with this. Here's what Jesus says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, even though many people fail to see the humor in Jesus's dialogues, I have no doubt that Jesus was a really funny guy. And I think the reason it's not more obvious is because humor is very culture bound. Let me say that again. Humor is very culture bound. Follow me on this. Movies that were funny, like even 50 years ago, aren't these days. How many of you have ever noticed that, right? Yeah. I used to watch movies with my grandparents and go, huh? Like, what are you cracking up about here? I mean, things that were truly funny to people 50 years ago aren't so much these days. 
Well, the Bible is a 2,000-year-old document. So you gotta ask, how many 2,000-year-old documents are still funny today? Well, Jesus, what he's doing here is he's painting a picture of religious hypocrisy. Okay, imagine it's our worship service and it's the offering time. All right, we're in the offering time during the worship service, and rather than telling people that they can give online or they can give in the secure drop box out in the lobby, instead, we have a giant offering plate up front here. And whenever an individual comes down, we invite people to come down to the front so everybody can see them. Whenever they come down, they're about to put money in, one of our worship team members whips out a trumpet and starts blasting Reveille right as they're putting that gift in. Okay, like that would have been laugh out loud funny for Jesus' crowd. Now, he was certainly not preaching to a uh, Bible church crowd, I guess. But, you know, scholars debate, like, how literal is this? I mean, Jesus was clearly using some hyperbole. Like, was there any trumpet sounding going on in the first century? There's debate on that. If there was, it, it happened on special occasions, maybe corporately before the religious leaders gave. Certainly wasn't happening on an individual basis. And so Jesus is using a certain degree of hyperbole here. He's talking about tooting your own horn. And I think we've all had instances in life where we have done something generous and, and then we try to slip it into a conversation with somebody so that they'll know we were generous, but we make it seem like impressing them was the farthest thing from our mind, right? Am I right? Oh, come on, I'm not the only humble bragger in here. <laughs> a sermon on self-delusion or something. <laughs> come on, you've done that. Think about it, anyway. Jesus says, truly I tell you, they've received their reward, here's a kid, real clincher, in full, in full. If you do something in order to impress somebody, your reward is impressing somebody. Like, congratulations, you'll get the wow, and you'll be a little more addicted, it'll be even harder to avoid doing the same thing the next time around. And he goes on and says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, that would have been another really funny line for an ancient non-Bible church crowd, okay? And there's a profound idea behind it. When something is deeply habitual, it is so embodied in me that I do it without even thinking about it. Like we say of those things that they become second nature. You know, when you were first learning how to tie your shoes, initially you had to concentrate really, really hard. And the first time that you tied your shoe, you were so proud. You're like, look at me, I tied my shoe. Like you wanted to blow a trumpet, right? It was a big deal. But now you can tie your shoes without even thinking about it, okay? You don't need a trumpet, okay? You're free to think about more interesting things. But it's kind of a funny thing. I was thinking about this. If somebody were to ask me today, Brian, how do you tie your shoelaces? Like I'd have to think it through to describe it. Well, you know, I guess I, I cross the ends, I put one end under the other, I make a loop with the right little circle, circle it with the left deal, pull it under, tighten it. And, and so here's a challenge for you. I want you to go home today and tie your shoe, all right? That's not the challenge. Hopefully that's not the challenge, all right? <laughs> the challenge is I want you to make your left hand do what your right hand normally does or, or vice versa. Okay, it's really hard. I tried it this last week. Like my left hand literally does not know what my right hand is doing when it comes to shoe tying. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, let your generosity be so habitual, it's like tying your shoes. Let it become such a habit that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Hmm. You know, initially, when you begin to give, it'll feel heroic. 
like you'll want to blow a trumpet. Initially, when you begin to serve and you're generous with your time, it'll feel heroic. Honey, look, I emptied the dishwasher without even being asked. Blow the trumpets, all right? Eventually, you'll be able to be generous without thinking about how wonderful you are, okay? You'll be free to think about more interesting things. You won't need the trumpets anymore. That's a sign of spiritual maturity right there. You know, Jesus' way of talking about this is, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You know, some some people think this is only about rewards in heaven. Like, okay, you know, you were going to get a really, really big mansion up there, but somebody found out, so sorry, you know, God's going to downsize you here. Too bad. Heavenly rewards are certainly a part of the equation, but the rewards will be realized right here on earth. You know why? Because you'll be living the good life, the abundant life. I mean, part of the reward is the person you become, the joy you experience, the faith you build, the divine care you receive, the difference you make. And I would say this, if you're a driven person and you like to be first in life, okay, here's my encouragement to you. Keep feeling that need to be first, but be the first in love. Like be the first in moral excellence. Be the first in generosity. That's actually a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And and here's the deal. You know what, the Bible, this book right here, is so full of rewards for being the first in generosity that it is staggering. And so what I want us to do for the rest of our time today, we're just gonna take a look and get really, really clear about the rewards of generosity. So much so that I hope you'll leave here today just fired up and saying, man, I can't wait to give to others. Like this is not a guilt-inducing giving sermon, okay? This should be an encouragement to you. And we're not just talking about money, we're talking about time and talents as well. So here we go. First reward is simply this. I've given you seven, because seven's a biblical number, right? Write these down. Here we go. Blessing. Blessing. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, our problem is, I think we often turn this word blessed into a religious cliche of sorts, but it's really just about who has the good life. Like, who's enjoying the good life? The idea is this. We think getting stuff, getting stuff is the path to the good life. You know why? Because whenever we get something, we receive a little pleasure burst. But those little pleasure bursts always, always, always wear off. And over the long haul, givers are happier, more joyful people than takers. I can promise you that. Givers are happier, more joyful people than takers. You know, we just saw our students up here here a little while ago, and I was thinking about this. Every year, every year, for as far back as I can remember, we take our students to a camp over the summertime. Right, Troy? And each year, man, our teenagers, they come back, and they are on fire for the Lord. It's one of the coolest things we do with our youth. And every once in a while, a non-church friend will come along to one of these summer camps, and God will get a hold of their life, and they will put their faith in Jesus for the first time. And it is super, super cool when that happens. But you know what? Each year, there are often students who, who can't afford to go to summer camp. And for years now, behind the scenes, we have had individuals and couples in our church who sponsor 
those children. Secretly, they give a scholarship so that any teenager who wants to go can go. And I would tell you their name, but then God would downsize their mansion in heaven, so I don't want to wreck it for them. Actually, I don't even know. But I have heard some stories, just anonymous stories. And I happen to know that over the years, I know of five students who've been directly impacted by those scholarships. Five individuals who couldn't have gone because they couldn't have afforded to go, but they were given a scholarship. And while they were there at that summer camp, they put their faith in Jesus. Five souls that were directly impacted because somebody gave secretly. And I know in one instance, Don Stoops, he went to one of the individuals who had given just to tell him the kind of difference he made, and the guy just broke down in tears. Now you tell me, who was more blessed in that equation? Folks, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So that's the first reward. Simple, more blessing. Second, more relational connection. Well, this is a bigger one than you may realize. I mean, we live in a society that is increasingly financially rich, but relationally poor. And so I want you to look here. We want to, we're going to look together at, at what Paul says to givers. He's talking to the givers in the early church. He's commending them. And he's talking about the people who received their generosity. Here's what Paul says. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given People who are generous with their time and with their money, you know what happens with them? They end up developing new relationships, connecting with and caring more about people, going to a deeper level. There's actually a fire department in Oregon that publicizes their annual fundraiser with a t-shirt that says, you come to our breakfast, we'll come to your, our, yeah, we'll come to your fire. That's what they say. <laughs> you come to our breakfast, we'll come to your fire. That's pretty good. It illustrates a life principle, doesn't it? If you're stingy with your time and money, you're going to find that other people's hearts tend to be stingy toward you. But if you're generous, other people's hearts go out to you. All right, write this one down. A third reward in Scripture is freedom. Ah, freedom. You know, when I focus on my little life, getting what I want, I end up becoming a slave to my own desires. And, and there's actually an interesting phrase. It's used a couple times in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 22, the psalmist says, deliver my precious life from the power of the dogs. He also says, rescue me from the mouth of the lions. But let me ask you this. Does that phrase, my precious, ring a bell with anyone in here? Yeah, it does. Because I know you've seen the Lord of the Rings or you've read it. And the character's name is Gollum so fascinating here. I don't know if you know this or not. The word Gollum actually comes from an ancient Hebrew word. It's only used one time in the Bible, in Psalm 139, for an unformed body. And in the Middle Ages, that little Hebrew word Gollum became kind of a character, a figure in Jewish folklore who lived as a begrudging, resentful, soulless slave. That's part of why Tolkien chose that name, Gollum. And the ring, that ring, according to Professor Tom Shipley, is what's called a psychic amplifier. I like that. It amplifies. He says it, it takes a desire and turns it into an obsession until it becomes an idol, and we become its slave. 
But the rule in the kingdom of God is this. Freely you have received, freely give. Freely you've received, so freely give. Think about this. What in the world do I have that God did not give me in the first place? My body, my mind, my clothes, my food. Generosity, it liberates us from our slavery to things so that we can give with the freedom we receive. All right, fourth reward in scripture is joy. Now there's a story about giving in the Old Testament. And at the end it says this, the people rejoiced over the offerings for they had given freely. Hmm, There's that word again. They had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord and King David was filled with joy. I'll tell you how deeply God has wired you for generosity. When you become a giver, when you start to give of your money, or you start to give freely of your time, you begin to serve, you know what happens? It triggers the release of oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, vasopressin, and endorphins. You wanna feel good? (laughs) Give. You know, that release of chemicals is sometimes called the helper's high. The helper's high. You know, on the flip side, (laughs) stingy people secrete cortisol which just so happens to be the stress hormone. And that's amazing to me. Like God has wired your body so literally you cannot give without receiving at a hormonal level. That's pretty cool. All right, a fifth reward. We gotta keep moving. It's this, blessings for the next generation. All right, this is from Psalm 37. It says of the righteous, they are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Now don't miss this here. The text does not say their children will be blessed. No, it says their children will be a blessing. You know, if you want to see what a grasping spirit can do to the next generation, read a little Shakespeare play called King Lear, and you see that selfish parents tend to raise selfish children, and generous parents tend to raise generous children. If you want your children to grow in understanding generosity. If you want them to learn generosity, here's a suggestion for you. Take them on a missions trip. You know, both of my sons went on missions trips down to Mexico or Mexico trips on multiple occasions, and they came back with their hearts overflowing. I mean, they saw how joyful the underprivileged children were there, and they learned the blessings of giving. Down there, they encountered pastors and orphanage directors who gave them themselves 24-7 to help people in desperate situations. And their hearts were changed forever by that. So building generosity into the heart of the next generation, that's a powerful, powerful gift. Right, another reward. Isn't it incredible how many the Bible has? I've limited it to seven today, and there were many more. A sixth reward is multiplied impact. Now, there's an amazing story in the Bible. Listen carefully to this. It says, one day, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. 
Now, this is a really fascinating story for me on so many levels. First of all, Jesus goes and sits down and openly watches people as they give their gifts during the offering time. I mean, doesn't that seem a little nosy to anybody? <laughs> like you wanna go, hey Jesus, why, why don't you mind your own business, buddy? I mean, like what happened to the given secret thing, right? Jesus seems to have this strange idea that what people give is his business. That what people do with the resources God had given them that's God's business. But here's the deal. Here's the point. This widow was not giving to impress anybody. She wasn't hiring the trumpet guy. I mean, she was betting everything on God. And when Jesus says, this poor widow put in more, he's not being poetic. He's not exaggerating. The spiritual dimension of your existence, your intentions, your choices, your character, it's unseen, but it is real. It's actually more real than what is only here temporarily. What is reality? The unseen spiritual realm. See, this widow's gift became the most famous gift in the history of mankind. Think about that. This widow literally inspired the generation of millions, uh, the generosity rather, of millions and millions of people over the generations. For the past 2,000 years, this story, what she did, has inspired people. She had no idea what she was doing at the time, but she literally gave more, literally. So no matter what your income is, people, don't believe that your gift doesn't matter. When you give, God sees the heart. And he's a God that can take two fish and five loaves and feed thousands. Your giving can have a multiplied impact. Multiplied impact, because God's behind it. Speaking of that, one last one, one more reward here. You're gonna get a new financial partner. See, God becomes your new financial partner. Check this out. Jesus said, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this reality of God's involvement in your financial life, it is so, so powerful that I need to pause here and reiterate that giving is not something you do just to get more money, all right? Just to get more back. There's an old story about a little Baptist church where one Sunday morning, somebody dropped a $100 bill in the offering plate. And the pastor got so excited. He said, hey, whoever did this, I want you to come up front here and you can pick out three hymns. I'm gonna let you pick three hymns. Well, this shy elderly woman, she stands up and she makes her way slowly down the aisle. She's just beaming at the congregation. And then she turns around and she points at the three best looking men in the room and says, I pick him and him and him. <laughs> okay, bad joke. Anyhow, I couldn't resist. Sorry. Sorry, that was bad. I don't know why I'm still laughing at him. Anyhow, here's the point. What was the point? The point is, giving is not something we do just, just to get more wealth or, or reputation or trophy spouses, okay? But here's a truth you can take to the bank. This is based on scripture. It's based on what I've seen in hundreds, probably thousands of people's lives. It's based on the reality of what Wendy and I have experienced in our lives. You cannot outgive God. 
We're just going to throw the gauntlet down on that one. You cannot outgive God. Now, this is true with your time, all right? So if you're not volunteering, you're not serving, let me encourage you, start getting generous with your time. And see if God doesn't multiply your time and energy back in ways that will blow your mind, ways that will build your faith. And it's also true with your money. And just so you know, around here we practice grace giving. So you decide how much you want to give to God. Your giving is entirely between you and God. I don't know anything about it. don't need to know anything about it. But I will say this. You cannot outgive God. You can't do it. And because of that, I challenge people all the time. Hey, step it up. Wherever you're at, step it up. Whatever you can do by faith and cheerfully. Okay, those are two very important principles. 1%, 3%, 5%, 10%. I've challenged people to do that. And see what God does. And I have yet to have anybody come back to me and go, Brian, there wasn't enough money at the end of the month. I don't know how God does it, but he shows up. And let me just reiterate here, God is not a holy vending machine. All right? This is not a health and wealth gospel deal. You know, God's not going to be tricked by that. You don't give to get rich. But, but I will say this. Sometimes, you know, when you give, sometimes, yeah, God will provide. God's going to take care of you, all right? I don't think the end of the story here that we don't have written is, and then the widow died of starvation, right? No, God, God's going to take care of you, whatever that is. But those blessings, they, they may not come back financially. Oftentimes, they come back in other ways, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and yeah, e eternally. Here's our key passage around here. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. See, I think God can be trusted when he makes a promise. And over and over and over again in this book right here, in the Bible, through stories, through sayings, he makes it abundantly clear. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, years ago, there was a financial pitchman for a finance lending company who had a tagline that was pretty memorable. Some of you may recall this. He used to say about their offer, this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. Well, it turns out it wasn't the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind. They ended up filing for bankruptcy, okay? But trusting Jesus with your finances, living a generous life, discovering it's more blessed to give than to receive, having the discipline of being a giver, getting real about being a giver rather than a taker, that is the biggest no-brainer in the history of mankind, it's the rewards of generosity. And you can bank on God's promises. Let's pray. Lord, it's amazing to me as I've just dug through your word this week. You've wired us for generosity. And it's, it's staggering 
how gracious you are to those who are gracious. And God, thank you that you promise that you're going to take care of us no matter what. And we can bank on that promise. And then in addition to that, God, you provide blessings for us, relational connection, which is so vital. Freedom. Lord, you can free us from our bondage, our slavery, our our fear, our worry about money. You bring us joy. You give us an opportunity to model generosity to the next generation. And then ultimately, God, with you as our financial partner, you can multiply. With you, all things are possible. And the impact that our gifts can have can, can blow us away. So God, help us to take these truths to mind, whatever it may be. And maybe, maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our uh, treasure. Maybe it's our talents. Whatever it is that we have to give, help us to be more generous people that we might delight in you and enjoy the good life, the abundant life, the best life possible, which is just doing life your way, in your will, with you right by our side. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, as we close here, if you have questions about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you have a prayer need or prayer concern, we're gonna have volunteers on either side and the alcoves here, they'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, go and enjoy this beautiful day. We'll see you.